0: culture, diversity have to be first-class citizens, just like strategy, which we all love to think about as, as, as CMOs. And they need the same amount of focus, rigor, and analytical um, mind power to be successful.
1: Welcome to The Get, the Marketing Talent Podcast. This is your host, Erica Seidel. We explore what it takes to get and keep the best marketing leaders in the B2B SaaS world. Welcome to The Get. I'm Erica Seidel and my guest today is Eric Olson. Eric is the CMO for QuickBase, the application development platform company. He is based in the Boston area and Eric was previously CMO of Sovos. He was actually recommended to me from somebody on his team who said, if you're gonna have a show around CMOs, building diverse and inclusive teams, you have to talk to Eric. So, Eric,
0: welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's an exciting topic.
1: It is. It's fun. So let's get right into this. Um, you mentioned to me previously that diverse teams, when managed well, outperform heterogeneous teams. And the key is when managed well, of course. Can you say more about that? And can you talk specifically about how you align your teams?
0: Yeah. I mean, when managed well, right, is the, the key in that statement, as, as you say. So I think to... T- t- kind of picture this I picture it as like pretend you have three coasters on a on a bar like back when we could actually go to bars and drink things on coasters um so if, if you have a homogeneous team like the picture like each of those three is a person right if you have a homogeneous team um you kind of stack them on top of each other you know because everyone's similar they're going to be aligned and so you're going to kind of get the the circumference of that coaster out of, out of people and you keep stacking them up and you get more and more, but it's always going to be kind of that surface level. Now, let's say you have a diverse team, so you've got different color coasters and you sort of lay them out, laying over each other, kind of like a shamrock, right? Um, and this is where it gets tricky because if it's not managed well, that stuff where they cross over isn't going to work, right? And so you're actually getting less out of the people. You're just getting the stuff that's not crossing over. If they are managed well, you get all that stacked up magic in the middle and you get the most out of them individually. And that's really how you get the most out of your team. So you can see that hopefully through that visual that um, homogeneous teams can work well because they, it feels easier. Uh, but diverse teams, you can get far more out of it, but it's a lot harder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like your analogy with the with the coasters. Um and uh, you also talked about this difference between like a relay team and a soccer team. Is that something that is relevant here too?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So um, I, I talk about this a lot with my team. You know, I think you know when you when I came in actually to the, the current organization, we had an incredibly talented people. Right, they could go very fast in the in the direction that they were pointed. Um, and I talk about that as a relay team. They could one person runs a lap and they hand it off and the other person runs a lap. Uh, But diverse teams um, to work well require that you have to work more like a soccer team. And so, so what do I, what do I mean by that? Right. I think there's, three things that you have to have to be successful in a diverse team, right? So one is the team goal has to outweigh the individual. So like when you're on a soccer team, you kind of always know what the score is you're working to that. If you have a well-managed team there, you have a sense of purpose of of, of winning something together, not your individual uh, stats on the field. Number two, you need some kind of transparent strategy. My daughter plays soccer. Um, she is three. And as you can imagine, that is a complete and utter mess. There, are everyone sort of chasing, chasing the ball around because they don't know what their role is on the field. They might, even if they do know they have a goal, like they, you kind of have to know, you know where you're supposed to be on the field at any given time for that to be successful. And then third, you need a common way of behaving. You need a culture, a performance culture. We talk about it as where um, there's a specific set of expectations of how people behave and you hold each other accountable for that and you can see this on real sports teams, right? Teams where it's an individualized culture don't do nearly as well as teams that have a common culture and all behave in a common way that, that builds the, the, the team up over the individual.
1: Right, right. So can you dive into that a little bit more? Like, can you tell me about the team that you have now at QuickBase and and maybe some specific examples of shared expectations that everybody is kind of, you know, hewing to on the team?
0: Yeah, I, I would say when I came in, like, again, we had this team of, of very talented people, but it was more of a, a hub and spoke model. They were talented in their individual areas and, and did them, but it. You know, what I heard immediately from folks is like, It just doesn't add up to anything. Right. And so, Mm you know, one of the reasons I joined QuickBase is we're kind of in an an exciting place. Right. We believe that the way that software is developed can be uh, far more inclusive of more people in the future. And so, you know, one of the first things we did is sit down and kind of said, why why do we exist Right? Like as a marketing team? Why are we here, right? And we talked about the idea of sort of really being able to to come together to unlock innovation uh, out in the world, and and it gave it started to give the team a sense of of purpose and and um, how things come come together, right? And so. Um, I think it starts with purpose but that's only one element right again i think it's got to have that the same three things you need a a standard purpose um then you need a strategy that brings you together so a lot of the stuff we've worked on is is around process and how do we create a process that interlocks our team so we're always aligned behind the same goals um, and the work we do actually adds up to sort of meaningful progress against that purpose and then culture right we sat down and said hey the one thing That will make us successful is is we have a culture that is highly adaptable to the world around us and that means that we've got to be trusting uh, that means that we've got to be able to take risks Uh, and so you know we started treating um, culture like a first-class citizen Mm -hmm. i think that's something like that you know been my biggest lesson in business it's so easy to kind of get in there and focus on uh, performance and the numbers and the programs and strategy. That's the the stuff we kind of get into business for, right? But I think what we're seeing more and more that as as a leader, you've kind of got two levers. You've got kind of strategy and process on one side, and you've got culture on the other. And I think you need to treat culture, or we've realized anyways, you need to treat culture as a first class citizen, like those other two, which means it's rigorous, it's data driven, it's process driven, and you're constantly sort of evaluating and building it um, as you're in the same way that you're building your sort of strategy, process, program muscle.
1: That's interesting. So, can you talk about a particular um, process that behaved a certain way, that, that worked a certain way kind of before you um, got to this common purpose and culture? Um, and and how that process is differently na- different now so like the from to on a, on a particular process in the team
0: I think the biggest example for us of a process that was working more like a, a relay team than a, than a soccer team would be program planning um, mm-hmm. you know we had some people in uh, marketing like certainly one of the core skills of, of marketing is like how do you how do you manage a, a program multiple multiple tactics against the goal and uh, we had people that were running a lot of programs, uh, but they just didn't add up to anything. Um, you know, they were successful maybe in their own right. Like, so we had, for example, we had someone who was running advocacy programs and we were getting advocates and that was great. Mm-hmm. And then we had someone that was running demand programs and we were sort of getting demands, but the, the advocates we were getting didn't map to the people that we were trying to get from demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and so you get these fundamental disconnects where people are doing good work and you know you hire the right people they're going to do great work uh, but if it doesn't tie together then it's not the right work and so we've spent about the last year actually you know really digging into who is our you know ideal customer buyer or who is our ideal buyer why do they buy how do they buy and then having a, a purposeful process of sort of aligning our team so in that example that we're going to build up advocates that are speaking directly to this audience um, that needs us most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the, you know, great example there of sort of pulling together all the parts um, to achieve a bigger goal.
1: Yeah. Right. So if, if it's like, if it's if a particular industry is like a big focus for demand, then maybe you get advocates that are from that particular industry so that it looks a, a little bit like monkey see, monkey do from a <laughs> from a marketing standpoint. Yeah.
0: And we talk, you yeah, I think one of the things about marketing now is it's like it, you know, depending on where you came from, like, you know, a lot of people think of marketing is just demand, middle funnel, go get demand, but it's, it's the whole flywheel now, right? So we talk about it as having three parts, you got to build brand reputation, you got to create demand, and then you've got to deliver value and build advocates, right? And those three parts kind of fill on each other. And so if you're pushing on that flywheel, um, with different outcomes in mind, um, it's going to go sort of, you picture it as a wheel and spin one way and then spin back and get stuck. And so if, but if you're all pushing against the, the flywheel with the same kind of focus, then it just starts to spin faster and faster and faster.
1: Right. Right. That's awesome. So tell me about your current team. I, people always like to know how a marketing team is organized. So can you talk to me about, um, about what that organization looks like? And then, and then separately we'll talk about, you know, diversity and what that means on your, on your team.
0: Yeah, so when I look at my team, it, it starts with with that flywheel, right? Mm-hmm. So if we, if our sort of three parts um, of our strategy rely on us building reputation in a certain area, creating demand in a certain way, and particularly for us landing in the right high-value solutions, and then accelerating value and building advocacy, um, then I need to build my team to do that, which means I need coverage of those different areas and I need a way to interlock it. Right. And so that starts with, you know, we've got coverage of the buyer lifecycle. So that's, you know, demand, disciplines, field marketing, coverage of the customer lifecycle and really accountability for the reputation of brand and the key areas we want to be known for. And then we interlock all of that with our campaigns group and we support it uh, underneath with clear accountability for the market. Right. And we sort of think about that as both product marketing, thinking product out and, and solutions marketing, thinking market in.
1: And can you talk to me about um, how your team is diverse? So diversity means different things. You know, there's gender, ethnicity, um, you know, background. There's, you know, different kinds of backgrounds. Can you, can you talk about, um, you know, how that shows up for your organization?
0: Yeah. I think, it, you know, diversity has become a, a a more narrow word, which I think is actually really important. I'll come back to that. But, I, you know, started with the definition of diversity being fairly broad, you know, thinking about it sort of in the Abe Lincoln team of rivals kind of model in that having a diverse set of perspectives makes us better, right? So, you know, we talked about sort of the the leadership challenge that comes along with that because you now have people that have very different worldviews, but, one of the things I've always looked for in, in, in how we hire is those different roles in marketing, um, you know, skewed to different skill sets. Like your, you know, your operations people tend to be deep, analytical people, your creative people tend to be sort of these, you know, very creative, visionary visionary people. And so very intentionally on our team, we've tried to build for different perspectives and then build a, a mechanism to bring that to bear um, and drive to better ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I, but there's that's just the start right because you know I've, I've worked for my whole whole life really in international software, software companies and some of the you know some of the most brilliant innovative uh, thoughts you've had is when I've had really broad international teams so it gets to things like race and uh, and language even very different and just um, you know culture ethnicity uh, and so really it's 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 quite broad um, but that's hard to focus on Right. So I think, you know, when you talk about building diversity, you have to be intentional. So I think it starts with do we have the right different mindsets? Right. Do we have an even mix of gender? I think those are things arguably in marketing that are the easier ones to solve.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Then it gets you you get to race and on its face, it looks hard. Uh, You know, you kind of look out and say, oh, maybe the talent pool is not as big, but I, I don't buy that. I think actually the talent is distributed across races and, and genders pretty equally. I just think the opportunity hasn't been there. And so that's on us to to create it. So I, I would say we're doing okay on diversity in my team, but not nearly where I want to be, right? I think we've mm-hmm. got diversity in some of the broader types of diversity that are a little easier. And I think we've got a, a steep hill to climb uh, when it comes to uh, diversity and some of the, the harder ones. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, that leads me to my next question. So have you ever had a situation where um, hiring for experience in, leads you down one path and hiring for diversity leads you down a different path and you have to kind of reconcile those two.
0: Yeah, continuously. I remember when I <laughs> when I first got into private equity, that was the, the biggest concern because all of a sudden, you know, you say what you want about private equity, but you learn to do more with less and so, <laughs> you yeah, mm-hmm. you get into it and like you just, you like can't hire for ex- experience or you just won't be able to, to have a team. Um, and so you're forced to do things differently and it's really Opened my mind. I think you know one of the, the most interesting stories that comes to mind on you know, where this diverged. I was hiring uh, my first product marketer in, in Europe uh, for for a company, and I um, had been interviewing forever and just you know finding you know really great people that were just you know not not a fit for our culture and um, some that were way outside our price range. And you know I found this this woman from Portugal. Um, She's you know a couple of years out of school, no experience in software. And I was going into an interview, and I was with myself and our our MD at the time. It was you know a Dutch guy, and the Dutch are amazingly direct. And he was like, "I don't I don't know why I'm wasting my time in this interview. <laughs> she mm-hmm. doesn't look like she has the experience that that we need." Um, and we went in, and she you know pitched this just absolutely brilliant um, strategy for our uh, VAT business over there, and uh, and we walked out, and he just looked at me and said, "I." Wasn't good, ready to believe it, but you were right. Hire her, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and and she was incredible. Uh, and someone that you know wanted to hire at other places in, in in my career, but on paper, never would have gotten in the interview process. That I think you know eighty ninety percent of of software companies.
1: No, I remember you said um, earlier to me that you know experience kills you because everyone is looking for it, um, and that's an interesting angle about you know in PE. Driven companies you do more with less and so you might have to be more creative Um, so I mean at least that's that's at the you know when the CMO hires people um, for their team have you seen that amongst your CMO um, friends where somebody gets a job at a CMO level that is you know, where, yeah, maybe they, they, it's a SaaS company, but they don't have SaaS experience previously, or it's a B2C person moving into the B2B realm. Have you, have you seen that?
0: I have, you know, I I remember in particular, you know, a a software company that that hired a a pure brand um, CMO, and I sort of questioned that, and she's doing, you know, tremendously well there. I think, you know, when you're choosing a CMO, there's just, very different types of CMOs. Like you have, as you know, there's uh, you, it's kind of your general manager persona, which is sort of where I come from. There's kind of your digital demand native, and there's like your your storyteller brand person. And I think depending on kind of what your need is as a company, um, you can find, and you're really, if you're really clear on that, you can find uh, CMOs from, from outside our world of, of software that can be successful. Um, I don't think that works all the time. You know, I think yeah, having the context at this level of of B two B software, um, you know, kind of kind of does matter uh, depending on the stage of, of growth you're in.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you let's talk about interviewing, um, and you know, one of my favorite topics. So can you tell me about one thing that you've done in an interview process that ended up being surprisingly revealing?
0: I think it's the overall process that we run today, and maybe that's a, a, a cheap answer. But I remember going into, you know, again, my, uh, you know, one of my first sort of, or I guess my first CMO private equity role, and I, you know, was dealing with our head of talent and just brilliant woman, and you know, I had struggling with what I, what I talked about earlier that you know, in, in PE, you got to find a way to, to do. More with less, and I was just really struggling to find the experience I needed because um, I was rebuilding a whole team. Right, I was coming in and acquisition build company, and so you're almost starting from scratch. We, I think we turned over seventy five percent of the team because they were just for smaller businesses doing different things, and we had to build one team with one culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and she sat down and said, "Hey, there's we do it. We do it backwards. Most companies interview for experience, then they interview for sort of behaviors, and then they then they look at um, you know sort of their their raw talent because that's kind of the easier way." to go, it's like we do it backwards, right? So it's capital T meaning we, we hire for talent first and our definition of that in software um, that I really hold onto is with this kind of mental agility, right? Like this this ability to deal with ambiguity and shift quickly uh, back and forth and adapt. Two, uh, capital B behavior, right? So, can, and that's the behavior specific to the role, right? I mean, get to how we do that, but um, it's, and I think of it, as three things. Can, can they sell? Can they lead? And are they deeply curious and analytical generally, some combination of those. And then then experience, which is a small e, right? That's the, the final thing to kind of check to the, to the conversation earlier on CMOs, like do they have enough context to be successful here? It's not about do they have 20 years of experience in B2B software, it's do they know enough the business acumen to, to be successful in, in the role that we're asking them to do? Um, so talent, behavior, experience, and following it in that order um, yields incredibly uh, good results right so I went from you know not being able to to find anyone to being able to quickly identify people that became you know rock stars in in the company and, and build a team that you know, I, I couldn't get off the ground and it took me I think you know, a couple months to hire my first person, and then we were just able to kind of crank them out, build a leadership team, go international. Um, And so it's surprising that when, you know, you kind of flip your thinking on that um, and do it with data, uh, that you can find talent places you never expected.
1: Right. That's great. So does that mean that you had a very big top of the funnel where you were um, evaluating that big T talent with them? And and how did you narrow the funnel if from an experience standpoint, you had so many possible people in the funnel.
0: That is the challenge, right? So you you do yeah, you know, and that's the recruiting challenge. Like you need a, an HR partner who believes in this because you do have to open up the top of the funnel um, mm. and you know have it because you, know, the, you just end up you know filtering having to, to, to filter more people out. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the way that you do that is with data, right? And, and Right now, I think it's it's almost sort of antithetical to this conversation on building diversity. If you kind of read out in the world, like the use of you know testing and stuff can mm. be highly can be highly biased, right? I don't, mm. I don't, I would never contest that. But I think if but it, it's also, I think irresponsible to write that off. You know, we talked about how to build a strong team. You need to approach culture and hiring with the analytical rigor that you do strategy and, and programs. Um, and and I think that's so true uh, in, in hiring. And so if you look at it as a data point and not necessarily a gate, um, then uh, I, th- I think it, it opens up new talent pools, right? So, you know, we were, at, at my last company, sort of pedantically about recruiting from second tier universities, you know, including sort of historically black colleges and universities, because there's amazing talent there that other people aren't. Interested in, and so um, you do have to open the funnel wider um, and apply data-driven uh, analysis to, to to mine for that talent uh, versus going off what's on the resume or LinkedIn.
1: hmm hmm And then, how do you figure out if somebody has um, good, you know, curiosity? Like, so in that in that middle middle section, you're talking about behavior, the ability to sell, lead, and be curious. I, I like that. Um, how are you how are you kind of figuring that out like if somebody's just asking good questions in an interview is that does that count
0: Well it's yes it's there but you go uh, but you start with data right so we mm-hmm. used we used, uh, you know a couple of sort of tests to get that information on people coming in, right? So the first one kind of tests for that sort of mental agility I talked about. Can they, are they discerning? Can they go like just determine, hey, I'm not, I don't wanna, th- this question is gonna slow me up, so I'm gonna go to the next one. So it allows you to kind of see like, do they have that dexterity um, to be successful? That's kind of the talent. Um, the behavior one then, there was a second part to that where you know you, you, you did some evaluation of their sort of behavioral preferences and there's no right and wrong, right? They're like, it they just gives you a sense for who they are. Um, and we use that. So in the Curiosity one, there's there are a couple of questions. There's one around openness, right? And so if mm-hmm. someone's very traditional uh, versus very open, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not curious. But open people are going to tend to be sort of more analytical and more curious. when there are a couple other questions that sort of align with that. And again, it didn't mean that because they you know scored more on the traditional side that you say nope, we're not going to sort of interview them. Uh, but that's where you would direct your interview right I think as you know interviewing is really hard um, mm-hmm. and you spend a lot of time kind of going in circles and talking about things that aren't relevant whereas you know using data we can come into the interview and say hey we think these are the three sco- core skill sets that will make this person extremely successful in our team um, let's all interview for that um, mm-hmm. and, and you know what we found o- uh, often is like it was one it was Generally, sort of the the answers pointing in the right direction. you got a pretty good view of who people are. But often there were, you know, people know things about themselves, are very self-aware. And so, you know, where, where there were things where, well, maybe they're not curious enough, to your example, um, mm-hmm. you would find people that say, yeah, I know that about myself. And so I've created these processes to help me sort of make sure I'm always asking that extra question that I wouldn't naturally do. Mm. Right. So so you know, like it's it might not be naturally who they are, but they recognize that's important and have kind of built mechanisms around it. So you get to these these conversations and interview, they just never get to naturally.
1: Right, right. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um so looking again at diversity, one thing I'm noticing is that diversity initiatives are kind of going from being ad hoc to being more systematic and more you know, really having having teeth in them kind of from the executive levels um throughout the companies um are you seeing that and and do you have any kind of you know specific diversity index or, or diversity goals at, at QuickBase?
0: 100 percent i think yeah that it has to be that way again like you know you've got to treat things like diversity like you do your business strategy and performance otherwise they're just never going to get anywhere um and obviously like just just recent events have, have made that even broader but we we were talking about it before kind of the last six months unfolded. You know, at QuickBase, you know, we are a no-code platform, application development, integration, um, and so one of the things that attracted me here, I left a job I loved um, to come to QuickBase, and one of the reasons I did was that, you know, having worked in software for a long time, it's a, it's kind of a closed world, like it's it's not a yeah. very diverse world. And so, you know, at, at QuickBase, 40 some percent of our um, you know column developers are are women, for example. And so like you know, we see this awesome opportunity to kind of bring more people into the art of software um and uh, and so we had this you know kind of pillar strategy we talked about it's like can we create the most inclusive community in software and when we said that it was bold but you know that has taken on a whole new level of boldness <laughs> uh, but but starting back then we kind of said okay if we're gonna do that it has to be intentional and it has to start with us right intentional data driven it has to start with our own culture and so we hired an absolutely brilliant um head of dni uh at the company um, and, and given our climate, you know, she took a really interesting approach. Like she started focusing on our Black employees and creating more diversity um, with that group. Um, and it's been a great discussion and gets back to something I think I've seen over and over again with diversity is that when you focus on one group, it raises all groups. And I'm, mm-hmm. not, sure, I'm not sure people see that, but it's, you know, the same way you, I think, you know, if you think about how you approach, you know, marketing strategies, like you don't boil the ocean. Right, you mm-hmm. start somewhere, right? You focus on one thing, um, and then that that stuff that that thing helps you learn um, and grow and change and drive change in the market, and then that helps other groups and helps you grow in other ways. At very much the same thing, I think we're seeing in DNI. It said, "Hey, that you know this is a group that you know has been particularly bad off, right?" And you know read you know read a lot in the company on different things uh, and realize just how entrenched this is. And so it's like, hey, if you can rise. This group up and drive more diversity here with the like arguably by far the biggest barriers to success. Um, then you're going to rise diversity generally um, mm. in lots of different ways and and kind of get those sort of internal sort of opt uh, obstacles and barriers that exist out of the way for for lots of people.
1: Mm, mm, that's great. It's a good point. Um- Can you talk um, also about roles that you think um, will change the shape of B2B SaaS marketing teams in the future? I've been asking all of my recent podcast interviewees um, about this. So, you know, a typical kind of structure is, you know, you have your product marketing people, your brand or corporate marketing people, your demand gen folks, maybe, you know, a nascent kind of customer group, customer marketing group. Are there any roles, and then marketing operations, of course, or revenue operations? So, are are there roles that you think are are just kind of like in the uh, in the wings that you think will will really influence and 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 become more mainstream on B2B SaaS marketing teams going forward?
0: Yeah, 100%, right? And I don't think you know it's a lot of those old roles that have been around forever are still critically important. Um, but I look out and I say, what's changing in the world uh, that's requiring us to change? Right? I think at, fundamentally, marketing is just about sort of adapting your go to market to the market around you and doing it mm-hmm. as quick as you can. Um, and so there, there's three things, that, three pieces of change I see. So one is just the pace of market change and just congestion of software competitors is like nothing we've ever seen. Um, and so that number one leads to, I think you need more market roles. So we talked about solutions marketing versus product marketing, and both of them sort of taking on full commercial responsibility for the company of the success of those things, right? So I think marketing becomes market department, right? And so that requires just a level uh, a level up when it comes to these sort of strategic um, and sort of, First, best content kind of roles in, in the company. So think of it as PhD level product marketing. So that's number mm-hmm. one. Number two, you look out and you say like, hey, you know, content marketing was like really the the thing, you know, a decade a decade ago, and it was good enough to put out like some somewhat interesting content and information. But now it's so ubiquitous. And I always say to my team, like, we're not competing in content with our B two B partner or our competitors. We're competing with. Instagram, right? And so I think on that that one, you're kind of getting beyond sort of content marketers to like little media agency departments, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. creating stuff that's actually like this podcast, entertaining, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So that Mm -hmm. that move from content marketing to entertainment means that you got to start building your media chops, people that really get podcasting, video, things that are gonna Mm -hmm. actually make people stop on their tracks literally and kind of listen to to what the heck you have to say. And then the number three, which you kind of touched on is that, you know, marketing has really taken much more holistic role of sort of being the programmatic um, side of the entire journey through the buyer journey and the customer journey And so I think that means that, you know, on the the buyer side, the the role of field marketing, which is not new, um, I think just becomes more important as they partner with sales and actually think about not just generating demand, but closing revenue. Um, And customer marketing is, to me, like the future of marketing, you know, as Mm -hmm. your ability to kind of drive meaningful engagement in your customers to drive loyalty, uh, create upsell and ultimately build advocates that are going to go speak on your behalf.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I, I like that. Um, I like that framework. I'm going to think about that. Thank you. Um, very cool. Um, one final question for you, Eric, is just what is your advice on the one thing another CMO at a um, at a global company should do to ensure diversity and inclusion on their teams?
0: Well, you asked earlier. You know, should diversity kind of have clear goals and strategies against it? I think you know that. That's the heart of it. Right. So we have very specific goals in the type of diversity we're trying to drive and commitments, just like sales goals of when we're going to drive that. Right. So to our um, you know, conversation earlier, we're looking to dramatically increase the concentration of uh, our black employee base. Uh, and it's a commitment we've made from from the top down. And I think that's my advice to to CMOs is, is culture, diversity have to be first-class citizens, just like strategy, which we all love to think about as, as, as CMOs, and they need the same amount of focus, rigor, and analytical um, mind power to be successful.
1: Great, perfect. Thank you so much, Eric. It's great to have you on the show. I appreciate you sharing your perspectives.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a really fun topic.
1: All right, Eric Olson, CMO of QuickBase. Thank you, take care. Thanks for joining us today for The Get. Join us next time with another guest. Till then, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify so you don't miss a thing.